I wanted to be on the other side of human resources. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to move away from agency and be on the side of organization. Mm -hmm. Because at that time I felt that the person in that seat has the authority mm -hmm. to truly influence lives. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. When I joined this organization, I was completely surprised. Mm -hmm. How low the turnover was. How low the turnover was. Fantastic, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I pulled the numbers and I could not believe it. Mm -hmm. I said, it has to be a mistake mm -hmm. in my numbers. Because when I, the history and the knowledge that I have from the automotive side, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you're running on a weekly basis. I'm Welcome to the Westbound Podcast. My name is Matthias Ertzen, founder and managing director of the Ertzen Group. Each month we bring you international business leaders to share their personal and professional journey in North America. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let's get to it. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Florian Falesco. He is the VP of uh, Human Resources at OTR Wheels, and I'm really excited to talk to him today. Uh, he has been in Human Resources for many years and has worked for many international clients as well. I'm very excited. Uh, welcome, Florian. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you a little bit today about um, you know, working um, in this crazy world of international human resources, so to say. <laughs> it's a fun time to be in, I would say. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Let's, uh, for our listeners to get a little bit acquainted with you, let's, uh, uh, you know, another accent uh, in our studio today. So that's great. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, maybe how you got to the United States. Very good. So I was born in Romania, mm -hmm. in a city called Brasov which serves in the central portion of Romania. And uh, I was extremely fortunate to come to the United States uh, via a sport. And the sport um, was swimming. So I used to swim back uh, in Romania. I had, let's say, the, the perfect door opened for me. And uh, I was able to uh, come to the United States, attend a college, focus on business administration at that time. And I can tell a little bit of the story how I changed my majors <laughs> because no one really, well, maybe everyone thinks, but um, my initial major in college was theater acting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So after maybe one and a half or almost two semesters, I had to switch my major. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the decision was to go with human resources. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to land a career in human resources. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, that's awesome. So you come from Romania and mm -hmm. you go to where Where in the United States? Arkansas. Arkansas, gotcha, wow. And how old were you when you come? I was 19, 20. Gotcha, okay. So right uh, freshman in college. Yeah, that's amazing, that's incredible. So I think I was about 25 when I came, so I, I can still recall that time very, very well. So uh, you you get used to college life and, uh, um, and, and you swam while you did, right? Yes, so all throughout the four years in college, I, uh, I swam. Yeah. I had, I met many, many, many friends and still to, until today, some longtime friendships that started in college. Yeah. And um, I graduated college. I lived in um, Memphis, Tennessee mm -hmm. for roughly four or five years. That's where I had my first human resources job. Mm -hmm. And after Memphis, Tennessee, as a family, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Spent roughly 10 years in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Had the great opportunity to work for some amazing companies. Mm -hmm. And um, a little bit over three years ago now, 
we relocated to Georgia, mm-hmm. to Atlanta area. Yeah, fantastic. You know, a VP of human resources, you don't get to be a VP before you do, uh, you know, some other stops. Maybe tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, your early start um, into HR and, um, uh, and, and then how you got into international companies. Yeah, so start with your early start in HR. So my first position in human resources was the position where I learned everything through a fire hose. Mm-hmm. And I recall until today the orientation onboarding piece. The first project that I had was for an on-site support team. Okay. So a larger manufacturing organization in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. they um, asked for an agency to provide human resources support. Mm-hmm. A little bit over 1,000 employees at that time. Wow. That the agency had to manage. This was uh, automotive, electronic manufacturing? This was electronics manufacturing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so any type of electronic component mm-hmm. that it sold in the United States would funnel through some of one or two of these warehouses. Mm-hmm. That could be cell phones, tablets, laptops, mm-hmm. anything along those lines. Mm-hmm. First, they will be tested, they will be packaged for whatever store needed to be packaged, and then sent out. Mm-hmm. And the organization, the plant where I was, had at peak close to 3,000 employees. Mm-hmm. Um, at the peak, the agency had to support roughly 1,200 employees. Wow, big operation. So, yeah. larger organization, and I was one of 13 individuals part of the part of the human resources group heavy focused on recruiting heavy focused on recruiting um, the operation was 24 7 mm-hmm. so they were running on 12 so 5 to 5 5 mm-hmm. a.m to 5 p.m 5 p.m to 5 a.m mm-hmm. and our task was to make sure that all employees that we source are legal mm-hmm. we went initially through a cleanup process where we had to vet every single current employee that mm-hmm. was there, that they mm-hmm. have the legal rights to work in the United States. And I mentioned to you in a different conversation, this process was, nowadays we call it very old school. Mm-hmm. Because nowadays you use E-Verify, mm-hmm. you input the information in yeah, a yeah. matter of seconds, yeah. you can see if they have the legal right to work. Right, background checks, the same thing. I mean, it's like third party service today, you know, you get it within a few days. Yeah. Correct, back then, yeah. it was a little bit slower. Yeah. So you had to actually pick up the phone, yeah. have the identification in your hands, mm-hmm. and speak with a live person at the other end mm-hmm. that will provide you this, this information if based on date of birth, gender, and um, a name. Mm-hmm. And that's all, that's all it was used. Mm-hmm. So we had to vet quite a few individuals, but that was probably the experience that really opened my eyes towards human resources. Because you got to really do it all. I mean, from a from an HR standpoint, unbelievable. Everything. So yeah. we had to deal with, obviously, sourcing, creating mm-hmm. a pipeline of candidates, mm-hmm. always having an active pipeline of candidates, mm-hmm. because we could get a call six o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. five o'clock in the afternoon, in a matter of 30 minutes to an hour, mm-hmm. we will need to provide 15, 20 individuals. Right. So it was very dynamic, mm-hmm. never static, but probably my f- maybe my second day when I joined that organization, the trainer said there were four of us that joined at the same time. Yeah. And the trainer said, we're going to go through one week of training. We will onboard you properly. We'll show you everything that needs to be done. Right. 30 minutes after he provided <laughs> this speech, he comes. And he says, drop everything. Mm-hmm. We just got an order for 40 employees. Wow. Mm-hmm. So let's start calling. Right. 
So that was it. Yeah. So my onboarding orientation lasted a day and a little bit. Yeah. And truly without any type of human resource experience outside of the education yeah. portion, I had to learn everything through a fire hose. That's incredible. I mean, I've gone to college here too, and I know what college was like and then what it was like in the real world. There was very little applicable that I've learned, so I can only imagine how, how that went. So the so the agency had probably a huge database of people that they were con constantly um, um, entertaining, and then you would probably just cold call people, right? Cold call people, text them, just kind of see if they're available. Um, That's exactly right. So mm -hmm. we had to be very creative mm -hmm. at that particular point in time, we did have a database that was a regional database. Mm -hmm. So anyone that has ever applied for the agency with any type of client mm -hmm. that was available for work, mm -hmm. we would have access to that information right. in the database. And besides that, I would say old school ways, yeah. career fairs, yeah. educational institutions, walk-ins, anything you can think of, yeah. um, we would use. That's interesting because that must have really formed your thinking as well as, you know, later on in your career being an HR manager and partnering with certain, you know, blue collar staffing firms, you know, on what you would expect of them and um, how they should operate because you've been on that on that side of the business in, in your formative years, so to say, right? Correct. Yeah. Even even till even till today, yeah. it's very easy for me to understand what's happening behind the scenes. Mm -hmm especially in that world. Mm -hmm. And today we have many organizations that tend to specialize in providing mm -hmm. support, even if it's temporary or temporary to hire. Mm -hmm. So understanding what's truly happening behind the scenes and how that process should look mm -hmm. definitely created, um, I would say, a, it was a huge plus for me in my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine how, how that works. Very interesting. That's a that's interesting. Also, we'll get to this later on a little bit about European organizations, them starting out in the United States and, you know, what that should ideally look like from an HR perspective, because I think so many times, um, you know, lots of other things are being thought of, uh, but, yes. but that part is not. Um, and that's the thing that's really the most important for, uh, for getting a successful uh, startup going. Um, interesting. Okay, so you got all this, uh, this, this great experience. And then um, I think you worked for, for a few uh, international manufacturers as well. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Um, yes, after, after I departed that organization for one very important reason in my mind, I wanted to be on the other side of human resources. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to move away from agency and be on the side of organization. Mm -hmm. Because at that time I felt that the person in that seat has the authority mm -hmm. to truly influence lives. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I was very fortunate to join an organization that was German-based, mm -hmm. so privately owned organization. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the organization was small, roughly 50 or 60 employees at that time. Mm -hmm. They did not have a human resources department. Mm -hmm. And some of the responsibilities were thrown in accounts payables for payroll mm -hmm. uh, or the CFO at that time was running employee relations mm -hmm. or things of this nature. And that was an amazing experience as well, because working for a small organization, you really get exposed to everything. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when, when I joined the company, my, uh, my boss said, it's not going to be just HR, so you'll have a chance to see everything right um, 
as he was in finance, I really had the chance to see the financial aspect of it, mm -hmm. to understand how everything clicks, mm -hmm. how everything moves. Mm -hmm. And later on, truly to understand how can I position human resources mm -hmm. to have an impact on those financials. Sure. Yeah. Not just we need people, mm -hmm. but what impact has when we say we need people. Sure. So it was really an amazing experience. Have you found that you usually get a seat at the table as HR uh, throughout your uh, career? Um, or like, have you seen companies that do it better than others? I'm, I'm sure you have, yeah. Most definitely. And also working in the automotive world, mm -hmm. I tend to believe that the highest seat in that particular organization, mm -hmm. if they truly understand mm -hmm the meaning of human resources, mm -hmm. they will provide a seat to the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough that the organization that I worked, that CEO level, president level, mm -hmm. understood the importance of human resources. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, I was able to sit at the table from a strategical point of view mm -hmm. and see how can I support the organization achieving those goals mm -hmm. through HR initiatives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think in automotive, it's probably, we have quite a few clients in automotive and probably driven a lot also by the short of, shortage of, of blue color, by the high turnover on blue color. Um, maybe from an automotive standpoint, we can talk about that a little bit, the, the turnover on blue color and like how to maintain a fully staffed facility, so to say, um, uh, you know, to be up and running. Automotive is so so hard, right? We talked, we had a good lunch uh, just now and we talked about this a little bit already, how, you know, there's uh, very high pressures coming from the OEM side. And it's very difficult for a tier one to, um, uh, you know, maintain adequate uh, output levels while at the same time good relationships, while at the same time uh, designing, coming up with new product and, and then fully staffing um, facilities here. Um, it's, it's definitely challenging. Mm -hmm. And the way I would, I would present this would be a pre-era of COVID mm -hmm. and an era after COVID. Okay. Because after COVID, the challenge to properly be staffed with adequate skilled labor intensified. Mm -hmm. And organizations, the way, I mean, everyone tried to find a creative way to come up with something to retain the employees or sure. attract employees. Mm -hmm. And for many companies, including the company that I worked for in the automotive side, our initial thought was, can we play with the compensation? Mm. Are we in line in the market with the compensation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of, not that all that we knew, but that was the first instinct. Well, and also what came right with it, right, coming out of the pandemic was immediately inflation. Correct. Right, so there's like this double whammy on thinking about compensation. So you had a few components. The inflation was one. Mm -hmm. Another one was the fact that the government, good or bad, yeah was providing financial support. I forgot about it, yep. Mm -hmm. So with that, you had a lot of individuals that were earning, let's say, entry-level wages, mm -hmm. anywhere between you know, 12 to 15, $16 an hour, mm -hmm. that with all the incentives at that time mm -hmm. that were given, mm -hmm. employees were better financially to stay home mm -hmm. because the support was offered to them, mm -hmm. rather than coming and put 40 hours of work and earning less than they would earn if they would stay home. Right. So it just wasn't making any sense. Right. So that's the reason why at that time a lot of organizations really reviewed their compensation structure mm -hmm. to make sure they positioned themselves above this line of financial support that were 
that employees were receiving from from government or state or things of this nature. So compensation was definitely number one. Another point, and this in the human resources world, this is a buzzword that we hear it all the time, is culture and engagement. Mm -hmm. But organizations that truly focus on culture engagement, Mm -hmm. not just a sign on a wall Mm -hmm. or written words in a conference room, but truly focus the, the, on the this. barbecue um, every Friday or something like that, Correct. beyond the barbecue. On Correct. Yeah, yeah. Organizations that truly think and they have an approach to it mm-hmm. and they want to and they truly implement initiatives that support the culture and engagement of employees mm-hmm. tend to be more successful in retaining employees, mm-hmm. regardless of the compensation side. Mm-hmm. So in the automotive world, there are organizations that were able and they let's say have a particular culture Mm -hmm. and they were able to retain certain employees besides that the only other factor that i have seen was the compensation piece Mm -hmm. so even the company that i worked for and other companies in the area on the automotive side we end up in a compensation battle battle yeah we would raise one quarter the compensation Mm -hmm. the next quarter the other company will raise it Mm -hmm. so it will be a constant battle Mm -hmm. and what that does to automotive company, as you, as you mentioned, the OEM pressure mm-hmm. and automotive, it's all driven by high volume and low margins. Mm-hmm. So the way you earn money mm-hmm. is to produce, 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 right. produce, mm-hmm. and the margins are very limited. Mm-hmm. So every time when you increase compensation structure, which let's say human resources cost, compensation benefits, mm-hmm. it's usually the second largest cost in a company mm-hmm. besides your material cost. Mm-hmm. When you have those, you get to the point that you're very close to that line. Right. Am I making money or am I not making money? Right. Mm-hmm. So it can be extremely challenging, mm-hmm. especially in the automotive industry. Yeah, and then add uh, international organizations to uh, it. takes, I mean, from my scene with our clients, uh, it, many years uh, to become profitable to offset, you know, all the investment costs of setting up a greenfield uh, facility. Right. Um, and you do that on very low margins. And then it was really kind of the perfect storm um, to to do that. Very interesting. How um, did you see a, a significant uh, change in this over time on, up, up till now? Or is this still something that uh, companies battle with? How, how would you say? Turnover is still there. Yeah. But I think it's getting to the point that it's not as drastic as it used to be mm-hmm. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So COVID is still in the background, yep. but now companies are looking to normalize their compensation structures. Right. Inflation is still there, mm-hmm. but it's not viewed as drastic as it used to be, mm-hmm. 11, 12 points. Mm-hmm. Now it's a little bit less than that. Mm-hmm. So I think companies are looking to normalize their compensation structure mm-hmm. because realistically, as an organization, it's extremely difficult mm-hmm. to always focus on increasing compensation mm-hmm. in double digits sure. year to year. Sure. Yeah. It's very difficult, yeah. especially, let's say, if we look at automotive industries where, you know, as I mentioned, the margin, it's very tight. Yeah. And you can't pass it on to the consu- uh, to the to the customer. That that That's probably by far the biggest, uh, you know, because the only thing is if you go to a dealer meeting uh, or to, to a supplier mm-hmm. meeting, you know, the only, there's only one way and that's down. <laughs> you Correct. Know? Yeah. And you mentioned the OEM pressure. Yeah. From the OEM perspective, in the automotive world, year to year, they ask for discounts. Mm-hmm. So year from, from year to year, your your price on the component that you supply is usually a minimum of 2% or yeah. so that you have to improve. Mm-hmm. So you're looking to improve that by 2%, mm-hmm. but in the same time, 
your material cost mm -hmm. is definitely going higher mm -hmm. because of everything that's happening. Right. Your personnel cost, because you want to make sure you have the right staff, it's also going higher. Mm -hmm. So you get you get into this to the Caesar effect. So this was a terminology that was used by one of my previous um, bosses, mm -hmm. amazing person. And we always discussed about the Caesar effect mm -hmm. because at one point you're looking at the price from the component that you want to provide, it's always going down yep. 2% every year, 2% every year. Right. But everything else is it's going up. up. So mm -hmm. you're going into a Caesar effect where yeah. you have to really make a tough decision. Yeah. What yeah. are we doing? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How would you, uh, or how will your HR departments usually set up to staff these facilities? I know you've you've been, I mean, not just from the beginning, but then later on, you know, large visit, several hundred employees. Like, what what do you usually have as a setup, and what would you describe as the ideal setup as far as personnel? Depends a little bit. So mm -hmm. for some organizations where I work, and let's say we have a single facility. Mm -hmm or maybe two, three facilities, mm -hmm. there's one type of setup mm -hmm. because you do not need necessarily to have what I call a business structure mm -hmm. or thing along these lines. So in those situations, sometimes I'm inclining more towards a functional. So I have your subject expert matters. Mm -hmm. Recruiting and sourcing, it's always a component of it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to make the decision and, and understand if you do have a high turnover on the production side, on, mm -hmm. the, on, the, on the blue collar side you have to make sure you have the personnel to manage with that mm -hmm. because you will have to replenish mm -hmm. replenish the workforce. Mm -hmm. So internal recruiting, it's always a component of it. And after that, if it's a single plant, it's truly based a little bit on functions. Mm -hmm. You know, So you wanna make sure your functions are covered mm -hmm. from payroll processing if it's under HR, mm -hmm. not accounting, mm -hmm. from benefits, um, compensation piece that it's attached to it. Mm -hmm. um, employee relations. Mm -hmm. So it truly depends on the size, locations. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a multi-site location, mm -hmm. so if you have five plus locations, mm -hmm. I tend to incline towards a business partnership. So where you have a generalist that has understanding of the full human resources cycle mm -hmm. and provide support for one, two, three, four, five plans. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I have seen that that it works. That functions well. Okay. Gotcha. And they truly understand everything about those particular locations. Mm -hmm. And they ask for additional support if need be. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your uh, partnerships or this, uh, you know, you worked in this uh, in the very beginning mm -hmm. with a thousand employees and constantly keeping it staffed. and. You know, if you have a plan with four or five, six hundred people, um, how would you would you usually have like two or three uh, staffing companies that you have running against each other on, and then you would have, uh, you know, a different recruiter that you would use for executive kind of stuff. Like how 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 would you look at that from a uh, from an HR to to really have your, you know, have your plan fully functionally running at all times? That's really what it is. So early in my career, I would always rely, let's say, on one or two TOPS agencies to mm -hmm. support us in staffing the production employee, the operations employee. Mm -hmm. On the professional side and executive side, I'm always of the philosophy that if we do have an internal recruiting force, we can use it, mm -hmm. but we can only use it within a specified amount of time. Mm -hmm. Because at one particular point, if we are just exhausting the internal resources on professional positions and we're not getting the results, mm -hmm. 
I also tend to believe that partnering with an external agency, especially for harder to fill executive level positions, mm -hmm. it's very beneficial mm -hmm. because they do have certain networks that sometimes an internal mm -hmm. resource team does not have. Mm -hmm. So yes, I use agencies for operations. Many times, I don't want to use more than two, three at one particular point in time, mm -hmm. just because administratively can, can be chaotic. Mm -hmm. So one agency, I have found that it's extremely difficult for one agency to support, especially if you have 400, 500 plus sure. employees. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but if we throw another one in the mix or three tops, we do it. that can help. Even though at times they do try to find candidates from the same market pool. Sure, yeah. But, but some might be talking to some that others, exactly. right? They yeah. have different processes. Yeah. Maybe they approach different sure. differently. Maybe they specialize in, let's say, Hispanic population mm -hmm. or or depends depends what niche they might have. So yeah. I tend to believe three and obviously it depends on the size of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, usually three four for us was was enough. Mm -hmm. And definitely external agencies for for harder to fill positions just because of their niche and networks mm -hmm. and so forth. How, uh, what kind of percentage of your overall employees would you usually have in turnover or uh, va vacant positions where you're like, okay, I, I have to worry about this. You know, this is what I constantly need to restaff. So the mode of industry is completely different. Okay. And looking where I, where I, current, where I am currently, yeah. which is not automotive, sure. uh, it's a different industry. When I joined this organization, I was completely surprised. Mm -hmm. How low the turnover was. How low the turnover Fantastic. was. Fantastic, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I pulled the numbers and I could not believe it. Mm -hmm. I said, it has to be a mistake in mm -hmm. my numbers. Mm -hmm. Because when I, the history and the knowledge that I have from the automotive side, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you're running on a weekly basis sometimes with, mm -hmm. um, I would see it on mm -hmm. a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you technically take that on a weekly basis and if you analyze it, yeah. If you just look at pure numbers, mm -hmm. you say, goodness gracious, in a matter of a year, you technically flipped your entire Turn workforce. Over, yeah. mm -hmm. Even though, even though if you look a little bit deeper, mm -hmm. it shows that maybe one position flipped five times. Right, so exactly. it's not that you had all positions that flipped at once. Mm -hmm. So you you didn't replenish your entire workforce. <laughs> but yeah. um, but that's the way it shows. Sure. So in the automotive side, if we had retention, mm -hmm. you know, let's say quarterly retention of 60, 70 percent, that mm -hmm. was amazing. That was good numbers. That was yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. And my um, current organization, when I pulled the retention numbers, mm -hmm. we're averaging 90 plus. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Speaks to the culture, definitely. Um, right. Speaks to compensation, probably adequate compensation, uh, good management. Yeah. I, I truly tend to to believe that it's more culture, environment, mm -hmm. than the compensation side. Mm -hmm. Obviously, compensation has to be in line. Sure. Because we all work because we need the financial resources right. to support our lifestyles. You know, we work so. on assignments. <laughs> I work on assignments, obviously, and, and many of the shortlists I review myself. And a lot of times, uh, you know, a recruiter will come to me, you know, and it's like, oh, no, he's going to make a move. And why is he making a move? Oh, he really wants to live in... New Jersey again, mm -hmm. okay, sounds great. And it's like, what's this current compensation? And it's like, well, about $20,000 less what the candidate's willing to offer. But money is not important. And I'm like, well, listen, <laughs> money is important to all of us. Uh, you know, if it's not at least a non-issue, meaning the yeah. equal, uh, yes. you know, it's going to become an issue in the offer letter phase. So, yeah, 
absolutely agree with you. Yeah. So different numbers. Sure. And I think it's truly driven by the industry perspective. Mm -hmm. In automotive, unfortunately, we do see a higher turnover mm -hmm. because the pressure is there. Mm -hmm. Other industries, the pressure is there as well, mm -hmm. but the, um, what I call unnecessary stress at times does not exist. Mm -hmm. You are stressed to make sure you do your job right. Mm -hmm. On the automotive side, you have, as you mentioned, from the OEM perspective, a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you're not meeting your production rates and the customer does not receive their components in time, mm -hmm. there's a huge financial impact that the organization has to support. Yeah. In other industries, it's a little bit more lenient. Yeah. If you were to be, if you were to accept uh, to a position, um, you know, and it's a, it's a, or maybe you have done one. Have you done a greenfield? I haven't. So you're <laughs> familiar with my previous organization yeah. that I was with. Yeah. And I would like to say that it was a failed greenfield okay. when I joined the organization. Mm -hmm. And our task was truly to restructure mm -hmm. and bring back in, in line the organization. Mm -hmm. So that was the closest one that, that I have done. I have joined one organization where it was towards the end of a restructuring phase. Right. And then I joined one organization that was the beginning of the restructuring phase. Mm -hmm. But I was not involved directly with a true greenfield mm -hmm. where there's nothing and we have to put everything. There was some pieces when I joined. Yeah, I, I often tell, uh, so we work with a lot of clients that are about to come to the United mm -hmm. States, big and small in, in scope. And, uh, you know, often I say, you know, the number one thing is you got to look at HR. I mean, that's a, one of the first hires you have to get right, especially if you're going to have a high amount of blue color um, in your operations. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite interesting how in these site selection processes, uh, these these companies get promised all kinds of stuff. You know, there's, going to be, there's land and tax incentives and you create all these yes. employees and big press releases and all this kind of stuff. And then there's, you know, state organized um, uh, like labor initiatives, uh, so to say. And uh, how is that uh, from your perspective? I Would you agree with me that starting from HR and then building it out, uh, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. <laughs> hundred percent. And yeah. obviously you're asking an HR guy. You're biased. So, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Sure. So I, I do, yeah. I do have some inclination there. Yeah. But, but it's true because of what we see from the HR perspective, mm -hmm. even when I joined at the stage of restructuring, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, companies are promised and outside of the tax incentives that are usually promised, they're also promised skilled labor pool. Right employees that are trained and they have the aptitudes and the skill sets to perform whatever they need them to perform. Mm -hmm. And at times that's where after organization comes, mm -hmm. gets situated, discovers that that's not what exists. Mm -hmm. And that's where the challenge comes. Mm -hmm. So I would strongly suggest when a new organization is coming to truly look at the talent pool. Mm -hmm. um, and it does start with someone that is to a certain extent local, mm -hmm. So the human resource arena, because that person will know the landscape already. Mm -hmm. They know exactly what labor pool exists. Mm -hmm. Or they know the agencies, right? Correct. That's another thing too. It's like, so you have this planned, you put the right HR manager there, uh, and or, or you don't have the right HR manager there. And here comes these agencies. Uh, and, and that's, uh, I think a lot of people don't understand that either. An agency is really, it's based on a sales model. It has very little to do with mm -hmm. with people. People 
I don't want to sound come come off wrong, but, but people are the goods. They are people, but people are the goods. Yeah. And they're a sales organization, right? And so everybody in that region is going to try to sell to you. Uh, and you got to be able to discern the good from the bad and really set up a winning team on the agency side to then help you facilitate adequate staffing levels for. Uh, I think that's often where our European clients, they're like, oh, this is great, this sounds good, this is a fantastic PowerPoint. Uh, well, you gotta <laughs> kind of read through the leaves a little bit, right? Yeah. It's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more. It's a lot more beyond just that face information that is provided by, mm -hmm. by what I call the economic development groups, mm -hmm. because they're doing a fantastic job mm -hmm. to showcase what they can offer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think they overpromise. Mm -hmm. That's when organizations get into that to that world that goodness gracious, mm -hmm. we don't have employees. Mm -hmm. How can we expand? How can we grow? We don't have the right skill set. Mm -hmm. So human resources, hands down to start with, that will be one critical role mm -hmm. that I would strongly suggest for any company to, to have, mm -hmm. especially if it's a greenfield. Yeah. As you mentioned, the human resources sometimes may not have the bandwidth to support an increase in employees from zero to 200 mm -hmm. in a matter of 12, 18 months. Mm -hmm. But that's when they rely heavily on local partners, mm -hmm. agencies mm -hmm. um, that understand the markets, they have pipelines, hopefully mm -hmm. they can support with some of those structures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Lots of companies, I'm sure you ran across this as well, um, you know, they will start a lot of times also because of the uh, technical capabilities needed uh, with experts, uh, right? Um, uh, automotive or other industries, uh, you know, there's machinery. We support a couple of uh, greenfields right now where the technology is m mostly new to the United States. It's just not here. And uh, so you need to send subject matter experts. Tell us a little bit about your experience with expats, um, uh, good, bad, um, uh, what needs to be done. <laughs> So I, I really had the great opportunity to work with a lot of fantastic, fantastic people mm -hmm. that, that are from all over the world, mm -hmm. from Asia, Europe, South America, really fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think deep down, we are talking about people. So mm -hmm. regardless of, of what their bringing is, they are still people. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to understand what that means, because what something is normal for us, it may not be normal for someone that has not grown in the same environment and culture. Yeah. So organizations rely heavily on those individuals that developed a certain skill set in that particular country. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they think that, hey, if the person can do it here, 100% they can do it in the United States as right. well. Yeah, send the best sales guys exactly. from Europe to, yeah. Exactly, so they, they tend to believe that we'll send our subject expert matters and they will, they will make everything go. Mm -hmm. So what we noticed a lot of shortcomings is they do, you know, those individuals know everything about a piece of equipment or mechanism or processes. Mm -hmm. And when they come, they focus on mechanism, processes and so forth. But then the critical portion of this entire concept with expats, mm -hmm. there are a few components, but one component is to make sure that an expat comes, there's somehow of a training process behind it. Mm -hmm. So all the knowledge that the person has mm -hmm. or the person can put on the table must be taken in by somebody. Mm -hmm. Because if not, you will always need that expert. Expert, exactly. So many companies tend to believe that expat program will come in six to eight months, mm -hmm. we'll have everything running. Mm -hmm. And usually an expat, it's not an efficient 
way from the cost perspective mm-hmm. because you have to think of all the visa requirements, housing, housing all of those schooling items. for kids. All of those yeah. items. <laughs> the whole so, package, it's, yeah. so it's very pricey. Yeah. Very pricey. So organizations plan six to eight months, 12 months, mm-hmm. 24 months stops usually. We get everything running. And then you end up having expats for five, six, eight years mm-hmm. because there's not a thought of how do we extract this information from an expat to make sure that someone local is able to do it. Right, yeah. So that's one gap. And then if you add the turnover on top of mm-hmm. that, maybe you do have someone local mm-hmm. for six months that stays with you. Mm-hmm. And now because this person is more marketable, I learn how to operate a piece of you know CNC or right. robotics or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Now I can go somewhere else and get a better job with better compensation, with better culture. Mm-hmm. So it's a vicious cycle at times, mm-hmm. but that's one point that should be focused extremely on mm-hmm. is the training aspect of it and how can we take the knowledge from the expats mm-hmm. and infuse it in the local environment somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, the other component is a little bit on the social aspect of things. Mm-hmm. As an expat, when you come, you may have an idea of what the United States is. Mm-hmm. We both come from that world mm-hmm. where we thought, you know, we hey, <laughs> it's America, yeah. you know, but uh, Companies also have to focus on the culture integration mm-hmm. of expats. Make them, even before they come to United States, mm-hmm. they should go through some type of training and understanding of United States culture. Mm-hmm. Um, from the smallest thing ever, mm-hmm. how to operate a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not so many countries, but there's some countries that operate a vehicle with a manual, mm-hmm. manual transmission. Mm-hmm. So how do you operate a vehicle with automatic transmission? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to press the brake first and then you put it in gear. Mm-hmm. That concept is foreign. And I'm speaking of private experience mm-hmm. because that's what it took me a little bit to learn. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do you put this in gear? Mm-hmm. So small things, mm-hmm. they have to be taught. Mm-hmm. So this way when they arrive here, mm-hmm. they can socially integrate. And the thing is like, also what I have noticed, it's not the one small thing, it's all the small things that add up. You know, it's like where first it's you're here for a few weeks and it's all interesting and curious, you know, much like you experience a vacation Mm -hmm. in a country you haven't been in. But after a while, it just builds up and wears you down, you know, and then it takes quite some time. I always say if we start with someone new um, that is brand new to the States, we just kind of call it internally fresh off the boat, you Mm -hmm. know, because we we were all fresh (laughs) off the boat at some point. Right. And after three to five years, you kind of see, will this person adapt the U.S. way of living? And also for us, be a good client because a lot of the expectations they had previously, they will lay down or listen to us mm-hmm. and you know work more how it's probably appropriate for the U.S. Or I've seen a lot of them uh, that then decide no, it's just I'll just go back, um, you know. And and this has been a great time experience for me, but I go back. Um, it's quite interesting how that goes. Yeah. And I know we had a short conversation during lunch. The focus on expats. Mm-hmm especially as expats come into higher level positions, mm-hmm. management, C-level, yeah. those positions tend to be very lonely at times. Mm-hmm. So as an organization, we must provide a certain structure to make sure that those individuals are truly integrated and they, they have some type of safety nets, mm-hmm. not just from the business perspective, but also social perspective, mm-hmm. personal perspective. Mm-hmm. So in this way, they can truly function as a whole mm-hmm. and support that organization moving forward. Yeah. So it's very challenging. It sounds very easy and a quick fix mm-hmm. at times. Just send someone, mm-hmm. 
they will help, they will figure it out. Right, right. Yeah. But it's a whole machine behind the, the, the scenes that must work properly mm -hmm. in order for that to be a success. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, totally agree. Have you seen, uh, so obviously at times you send a technical expert, other times you send management. Um, with all Greenfields, I almost saw the management always being uh, European. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen blue color adapt better expat blue color adapt better than than management is there any difference or or is management adapting worse like or can you not say it just really is dependent on the person another question follow-up question to that would be have you seen blue color adopt a blue color expat well um or has there been a lot of you know miscommunication and fighting and so i'll maybe first answer with um as you know certain parts of the world the approach of those employees is different compared to other parts of yeah, the world. I can speak for Germans who are extremely direct. I did not want to say that, okay. but that's what I was trying to imply. Okay. Well, you, so. let me, you, let, you let me write it. To, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So yeah. you are correct. Germans tend to be very direct. Yes. And it's not, it's not a matter that there are jerks or yeah. unprofessional. That's, that's just the way the character is. Yeah. So sometimes we did have many expats that are coming from Germany and it can be viewed by someone, especially in the south area of the United States, mm -hmm. can be viewed as, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Why is this person so rude right. to me? Yeah. Right? Because in the south, you're like, hey, darling, yeah. how are you doing? How, are you doing? how yeah. was your day? Yeah. This is some pie that I made for you. Yeah. So that's a little bit of, I'm exploding a little bit sure, of, the, sure. of the piece. But yeah. so sometimes, especially on the blue collar side, Certain individuals, if they don't understand the the culture piece of it, can be viewed as unprofessional, mm -hmm. jerks, mm -hmm. whatever you whatever term you want to use. Mm -hmm. But after they cross that line, what I've noticed on the blue collar, they tend to build stronger relationships to, okay. with the other blue collar. Bond, yeah. They really tend to bond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because why? They understand. Oh, this person is here on their own. Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving comes, mm. please come to my house. Oh, you've seen that? That's oh, awesome. Oh, I have yeah. seen that many, many, many That's times. So cool. And they develop mm -hmm. true friendships, mm -hmm. friendships. If you move a little bit up to the management side, mm -hmm. I think that relationship, it's a little more difficult. Yeah, who invites their boss for Thanksgiving, right? Exactly. Yeah. And many times if you throw an invitation down, it's just because you want to be nice, not sure. because you really want to mean it. More politics. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. So I have seen on the blue collar side, amazing relationship, mm -hmm. barbecue and friendships, cookouts, mm -hmm. all of those items. Yeah. Compared to the management side that it's not as much. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why I think on the management roles, especially those high roles, companies really need to think about what structure they mm -hmm. must put in place to support those individuals. Yeah, we talked a little bit also about the spouses, right? The mm -hmm. home front is so often forgotten. I mean, many people, they get relocated, um, uh, you know, here with, with family. Um, and now you have the spouse and children, you know, in a new school system, completely new language, different culture. Um, and uh, now you have them try to relate to, you know, country clubs or uh, alta tennis or, you know, the whole subdivision pool yes. culture, you know, all those kind of things. Like you, did, you either fit into that or you really don't. You know, it's very uh, correct, uh, very different. Have you used cultural training uh, with your executives on? Uh... We have used. Mm -hmm. We have used on certain instances. 
and we do rely on external resources for that. Mm -hmm. And we try to find someone that truly understands mm -hmm. both environments. Mm -hmm. At times you have uh, an executive coach that maybe is extremely familiar with one environment, mm -hmm. but we always try to find someone that understands both environments. Mm -hmm. For example, if we have someone from Germany mm -hmm. coming down, we try to find someone that understands the German culture and the United States culture. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have someone from another part of the world, that person really needs to understand both cultures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have used we have used that concept. Mm -hmm. And I really want to say that in certain cases was extremely successful. That's awesome. Yeah. Extremely successful. Mm -hmm. Because there were instances where with one particular person, uh, the person came and higher level position mm -hmm. and had different expectations, right. different understanding, different management styles mm -hmm. that the person had coming from Europe. Mm -hmm. And the person tried to apply those here See, and it didn't is, work. This, Oh, okay, gotcha. It did not work. Okay, interesting. It did not work because the culture is different. Yeah. I tend to believe that at times in Europe, in certain portions of the Europe, it's very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. So if I am a managing director in Europe, and if I go to an employee and say, hey, I need you to do this, the employee says, yes, sir, I will do it. Mm -hmm. In the United States, you can go with that title and mm -hmm. say, I need you to do this. The employee will say, why? Why do you want me to do this? Mm -hmm. Right? So you have to truly explain the why first. Mm -hmm in order to gain the buying of the employee in order for that person to do it. Yeah. So we were very successful, I, I thought. And I think the employee also recognized that, that after, at the end of the process, it really changed how, how the person saw yeah. management styles, leadership styles. So it was quite unique. It takes a special individual because if you think about it, you have all this tactical numbers, operation execution in your mind, and this is really soft skill kind of stuff. Correct. And if you want to, uh, you know, to apply yourself to that um, and see that as really something that's holding you back on, on being, let's be honest with each other. Even if, if you had a greenfield in Germany uh, executed mm -hmm. by Germans with all German uh, employees that have been educated, that would also be difficult. It's a new thing you're building uh, that also doesn't happen Correct. from one day to the next. Okay. So you now, now you try to do it here uh, with a skill set and labor force that's not that's not familiar with your uh, procedures machines mm -hmm. qualifications um then at the same time you have leadership that's uh, you know not from this culture and um, of course is and that's in a really high pressure uh we need a quick return on investment exactly um that's uh, almost a recipe for disaster exactly yeah, so yeah. it is a process and companies need to understand that yeah yeah you know, sometimes the human resources factor comes into play. Mm -hmm. So if you do have someone that is strong and understands that environment, mm -hmm. can serve as that sounding board to mm -hmm. the person mm -hmm. and say, hey, let's let's think before we actually provide this message to our employees. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a little bit of the bias of the HR guy again. Yeah. That HR well, is very important. <laughs> well, you have such an awesome demeanor. You know, I mean, from the first uh, time we met, I mean, just a very no, calm demeanor. <laughs> And uh, I mean, you can everybody can get worked up in the end. It's it's facts and it's strategy and it's truth, you know. And so you just got to Im implement the right ways of doing it. And then that's going to lead to success. Right. Correct. And I think with any situation is another quote from one of my favorite guys that I worked for. And he said, always go hard with facts, mm -hmm. beat the facts down, mm -hmm. smash them, crush them, but go soft with people. Mm -hmm. Because if you try to do the opposite way, mm -hmm. you will never succeed. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. 
and more so in the southern United States than anywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's very, very true. Yeah, you just got to take your people with you or it's just not going to happen. Focus on the facts, focus on the situation, beat it down, spin it, turn it, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. But be very, very, very soft with people. Yeah, that's excellent. Very good. Um, tell us a little bit about OTR uh, wheels. Um, you, you know, you made a change over a couple of years ago. Now like it's that. it's been recently, I would say, maybe in the last, so August of last year. So okay. Seven, eight months. Yeah. Now, and it's a fantastic organization. And they, um, they do have a global presence, mm -hmm. which is very attractive. Mm -hmm. So they're roughly, I would like to say, 16 locations in the United States, mm -hmm. a few locations in Canada, Europe, Asia, so mm -hmm. 30 plus locations worldwide. Mm -hmm. And um, they provide what we call wheel assemblies, so custom wheel assemblies, okay. different industries. So it starts with, let's say, recreational, so your side-by-sides, mm -hmm. go-karts. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way up to mining and construction. Oh, wow. Okay. So the wheels, technically the size of this room. Yeah. So really, really interesting. But so you assemble them. So that means you get the rim and you get the tire and then you assemble or do you actually make the tire as well? So we manufacture the rims. So the we rims. have mm -hmm. we have manufacturing facilities, mm -hmm. um, some location in the United States, some in Asia mm -hmm. that uh, manufactures the wheel. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the tires we receive and, and we combine. Mm -hmm. Some of these locations are, let's say, distribution centers. Mm -hmm. Some of these locations are assembly facilities. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a variety of processes. Mm -hmm. And um, the corporate offices, you know, it's here in northwest, I think. Yeah, it's northwest. <laughs> of, of, uh, of Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, from here we service, uh, yeah, we service the world. It's fantastic. a fantastic group of, of employees. Yeah, that's awesome. And then are you, are the company or the locations are you strategically um, chosen like proximity to certain key accounts like a yes. John Deere or Caterpillar, I would imagine, you know, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think the most of the locations were positioned to one of the mottos that, that we have is to make our customers' life easier. Mm -hmm. So with that, we want to strategically to be close to where they have some type of operation so we can service those accounts. Mm -hmm. So that is that is correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Very good. And so how big is your HR department there at the moment at OTR? So when I joined, it was a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the process of building an HR structure. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the corporate office, we have... So let me interrupt you real quick. From what I understand, there's been a lot of acquisition going on over the years, right? It's been... Correct. That's the way That's yeah. the way the group grew. Mm -hmm was at times through acquisition and at times through, through gradual growth. Mm -hmm. But um, usually if in the past... I think if there was an opportunity for for the group to purchase someone that does something similar, they, they would do it. So mm -hmm. the group definitely grew, different locations, mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, worldwide. Mm -hmm. And what has happened a little bit is now we're to the point, roughly three years when a new team was put in place mm -hmm. three years ago. And the goal is to truly to integrate and centralize functions Makes and bring sense, yeah. bring everything together and to truly function as organization. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So our president here is amazing, and he has, uh, from from the HR perspective, he's the person that you want mm -hmm. uh, because he he may hear this, but <laughs> but at, at times he thinks like an HR person. Yeah. So all of these items that some may call cheesy, for mm -hmm. example, leadership, mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. these are buzzwords, Attention. culture, yeah. mm -hmm. but he truly he truly focuses on implementing those so mm -hmm. they're not just buzzwords mm -hmm. 
And from the HR guy, this is music to my ears. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So definitely very fantastic. So from the HR team, we have in corporate office, we have four mm -hmm. individuals. So we are structured with business partners mm -hmm. currently. So just because we have so many locations. So each site has a business partner or how do you have it? So we have several sites that mm -hmm. funnel under one business partner. Okay. It's driven by a number of employees. Yep. Sure. So in US, we are close to 700 or so. Mm -hmm. And I would say maybe around 200 employees are, are divided in business partners. Mm -hmm. And um, we just initiated an employee development department. Mm -hmm. So we have one person that focuses on that. Mm -hmm. And we do have a talent acquisition mm -hmm. manager that focuses on mostly professional positions mm -hmm. at this moment. And we do have a few agencies we work on the, mm -hmm. on the operation side. And um, my role serves as a global structure. So we do have some regional HR leadership, for mm -hmm. example, in Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, we have three locations. We have in Thailand, in Sri Lanka, and in China. Mm -hmm. So uh, so they have an indirect link to, to me from the HR perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fantastic. That's a... That's a great, uh, great organization. Many different regions, uh, yes. you know, lots of other cultures that you haven't been exposed to before, which is probably a lot of fun. And uh, it's yeah. amazing. And yeah. as I mentioned, people are people. Yeah. And yeah. even within our office, we have individuals from many parts of the world, from Brazil to obviously Mexico yeah. and France. It's it's really really amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can imagine. It's great. Yeah, very good. This has been uh, an amazing insight um, into, you know, an HR department from from uh, VP of HR's uh, uh, perspective. So I really appreciate it and thank thank you so much for being our guest today. Um, I uh, I wanted to ask you at this time, like, is there obviously your company website? I would think that's uh, uh, otrwheel.com. Is that right? Or what is otrwheel.com? Uh -huh. And um, we're going through a rebranding process, so we'll probably have some updates on the website very soon. Gotcha. Excellent. Very good. And is there any personal um, uh, social media channels you'd like to promote, like uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram? So, so all of those items are coming up okay, very, gotcha. very soon. So yeah. we do have a director of marketing that mm -hmm. is focusing on those topics. So very soon, our main one I would say is the website. And yeah. soon we will have other channels on the social media. Gotcha. Is there any positions you're currently trying to fill that you might want to uh, uh, promote? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we. We have a couple of positions open. Yeah, we have uh, we have some positions local. Mm -hmm. I think our accounting department is looking for some for some positions. Mm -hmm. So higher level as, uh, as let's say as a controller. Sure. Um, and our accounting team is dividing into regions as well. So this will be controller for USA. Mm -hmm. We have some controller for Europe and mm -hmm. so forth. So where do they go to find these jobs? I, I, I would assume you have a LinkedIn uh, LinkedIn jobs, right? LinkedIn yeah. or Indeed. Gotcha. They can they can find all okay. of our all of our postings on Indeed. So we we use that as the as the mainstream. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, excellent. So to all our listeners and viewers, you know, go to OTR wheel.com uh, uh, um, and also check out the LinkedIn and Indeed pages for any potential uh, job openings there. Um, thank you so again, so much again for coming today. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for everybody listening and watching today. Matthias, thank you for having me. Absolutely.